0: you're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 today, and uh, I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here with you. If you would stand with me just in honor of reading the Bible this morning, uh, we're going to read the first couple of verses of 1 John together. First John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you again as we have already many times this morning. And I ask this morning, God, that uh, you would hide me behind your cross, that today, Lord, right now, whatever's in this place that could be a hindrance to the working of your Holy Spirit, that each one of us right now where we stand would lay self on the altar and open our hearts and minds and have ears to hear what you would have to say to us from your word today. Change us, God, and make us more like your son, regardless of who we are. Regardless of whether we're in this place or at home listening online, we pray for the power of your word and your Holy Spirit to work in us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So that passage in 1 John I read to you really as a springboard. We're going to be looking at a quick overview of this book, this letter of 1 John this morning. And I want to say to you right off the bat, this, this letter is a, has a very simple message, even though it's a very profound message. It's not probably anything that you haven't heard before uh, that we're going to look at here in 1 John, but very, very powerful. One of the things about this letter that's a little bit different uh, John, the Apostle John, wrote this letter. He wrote five books of the New Testament, which is second only to Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And, um, what, what, uh, many commentators and scholars and theologians say about this particular letter of John's is that it was written more like a sermon than a letter. And so we're going to look at this sermon and look at the points and the way that God or excuse me, the way that John broke this down in his writing of it in saying John wrote these books and Paul wrote these books. I understand that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and authored by God and then penned by human beings. And so, but just a little bit about this John that wrote this letter. He was one of the 12 original disciples. He was maybe the only disciple who stood at the foot of the cross and watched the crucifixion. He cared for Jesus' mother at Jesus' request. This John was at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. When he saw the Spirit of God fall from heaven on the people that were there, and through uh, Peter's first sermon ever preached, 3,000 came to Christ. John was a part of helping establish that first church in history in Jerusalem. He traveled extensively to preach the gospel. He pastored the church at Ephesus that Paul started. He's the only disciple of, of the original 12 who died of natural causes. We'll talk about that more here in just a second. And I've already stated to you that he wrote five books of the New Testament. It's interesting to me, about a year ago, I started this study in First John, and, uh, and I've studied it and read it many times. This is the place, for the, for the most part, if I'm discipling somebody who's new to their faith or new to reading the Bible, oftentimes I'll start them reading in First John if they ask, because it does just cover some basic core principles, uh, essentials of our faith, and because it's a little bit of a shorter book. And so about a year ago when I started this study in First John, one of the things I had never noticed about the writings of John that I learned in this study was that all of John's writings were written at the end of his life. Even the Gospel of John that he wrote, which tells the story of walking with Jesus, was written in the last few years of John's life, the last five or ten years Of John's life. He wrote all of these things. And so it kind of just um, threw me for a loop. You'll see in a second how basic really this, this letter is. When you stop and think about a guy who at this point is 85 or 90 years old, he walked with Jesus. He lived on this earth with Jesus. He literally received, he didn't study theology, he received the revelation directly from God you think about the knowledge and the experience that this man had walking with Christ comes down to the end of his life and he writes this letter and it's so simple it just comes back to the basics of what we believe and i'm going to tell you a little bit about john and some of the trauma here in just a second that he experienced in his life and here's what i think i've i've learned uh, one thing i've learned in life and in ministry is that sometimes when things come along that throw us for a loop. When I studied this a year ago, I was thinking, you know, it's so strange to me that John would choose some of the last things that he would say and he would talk about such simplistic things. But here's what I know. Even people who've walked with the Lord for a long time, even people who have been grounded in what they believe can have their faith shaken in this life. Things can come along whether it's personal or whether it's global, and they can shake our faith. And in those moments when our faith is shaken, what counts is not how much theology we have. It's not our attendance in Sunday school. It's not how many verses we have memorized. It's whether or not our lives are truly anchored in to the core of the message, the gospel. Are you anchored to those truths? John and his life, just a, just a few things to cover here. John watched the Savior die, the man that he forsook all and followed. After three and a half years, he watched him die. John was arrested many times for preaching the gospel. Stop and think about that. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, yeah, I know that, I've read that. Stop and think for a second if one time in your life you had been arrested because of your testimony of Jesus. That'd probably be the first story you told everybody for the rest of your life, Right? it's a big deal. Many times John was arrested for his preaching of the gospel. He was a Christian leader during the, the, the reigns of Roman emperors like Nero and Domitian, both wicked men who set, um, who, who, who set their attention on persecuting people who were followers of Jesus. At the time of John's writings, he was approximately 85 or 90 years old. He had watched the Jewish temple, sacred to him and to his people, destroyed in 70 A.D., ripped down to the ground, not a brick standing uh, left. All 11 other original disciples at this point in John's life, including also Paul, have been martyred for their faith at this point. Not just that they're all dead and he's the longest one living, all of them have been martyred for their faith. Stop and think about how that would rock you to your core. In his 80s, John was sentenced to death by Domitian by boiling in oil in the Roman Colosseum before an audience. John was thrown into that cauldron of oil, extra biblical history tells us, and crawled out of it unharmed. Domitian decided to do something different after that. (laughs) I'm not going to try to kill John anymore. So what he did was he sent him out to an island called Patmos and he he isolated him and exiled him to this deserted island as punishment to John and also to get him out of his own life. And this is the place that most people believe uh, that John did most of his writing. We know it's the place where he received the revelation because it tells us that in the Bible. So I want you to think about John at this point of the writing of 1 John. He was elderly, he was isolated, he was persecuted, he was heartbroken, he had lost most of his friends and family at this point in his life. And so he comes back to the heart. He comes back to the anchor and he writes a sermon to the Christians at Ephesus, to the people of his church. Remember what what Jesus told John when he was giving him the seven letters In Revelation, this would have happened around the same time when John was on the island. Stop and think about this. Jesus tells John, I want you to write seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. Here's the church I want you to start with Ephesus, your church. And here's what he says You're busy, you're working hard, you believe the right things, but you've forgotten about the things that are first. Go back. To what's first? Go back to your first love. Go back to the first works. Maybe that had something to do with what what John wrote in First John. And so in this letter, twice John says this is the message. And so our first, our, those are our first two points in this in this outline. And I'm going to move through them pretty quickly because they're pretty simple but I wanna draw some application for you that I think is where the, the, the profundity comes in, the profoundness of this comes into our lives. I had a mentor uh, early on as a, as a um, uh, Christian leader, as a pastor uh, that came into my life and he used to say this, I've never forgotten, it was very powerful. He said, when I first got hungry for the word of God and started reading and studying the word of God, I used to think if I could just get a basic understanding of the deep, cool things of God, that then I would be set, I would have what I need. And he said, the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I realize what I need is a deeper understanding of the basics of God. And the way you get a deeper understanding of the basic truths of the gospel is the application of those things to life. And sometimes, unfortunately, um, the ways that we open ourselves up, most of those truths are through crisis and through struggle and through difficulty. It's where we really got to choose: Am I going to trust these things? Am I going to live by these things? Am I going to let the Spirit of God apply them to our lives? So here's the basic outline of First John that we're going to look at today, quickly. Number one: God is light. It tells us in John chapter one, our First John chapter one. First John chapter four tells us that God is love, and First John chapter five tells us that God is life. It's pretty simple. This is the gospel message. You'll see this as we work through this. This is a presentation of the gospel. And the gospel comes with implications for you and I. You may be sitting here today and thinking, I don't need to hear the gospel. I trusted in the gospel a long time ago. The gospel is something that you should preach to yourself every day for the rest of your life, even as a child of God, because the gospel has implications that ought to change the way that we live. It ought to affect the way that we live from day to day. So look with me at first John chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. And I'm going to be moving. I don't have the practice that Pastor Jeremy has at uh, 27 minutes on a sermon, all right? So um, I've already, my family has all made wagers with one another about whether or not I'm going to make it in 27 minutes or not. And so I'm determined to try to make this in 27 minutes, but I'm already behind. So buckle up. First John chapter one, verse five, listen to what it says. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If I had the time and if I had set this up with our tech team, I'd have them just shine a, a round spotlight on the stage here and make everything else dark. Here's what I want you to visualize. God is light. He is a pure beam of light. Not that he brings light. Light and darkness are universally understood even back in John's day with good and evil. It's not just that God does good. It's not just that God does things that are light. God is is light, it's an attribute of God. This has to do with the holiness of God. He is light, and in him there is no darkness, there is no sin, there is no wrong, there is no evil. He is pure, pure light. It's part of who he is. We don't ask why does why is fire hot? Because it's an attribute of fire. Heat is an attribute of fire. It's just what it is. And, and so what I'm telling to you is God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, I choose to be holy. Holiness is an attribute of God. It's who he is. Perfection. Sinlessness. Now here's the mind-blowing thing in verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen, here's the the incredible thing. You've got this beautiful spotlight, gleaming light, perfect, pure light. The moment I step into that light, I'm going to cast a shadow on it. I'm bringing darkness with me. You're bringing darkness with you. And yet, God says, come, walk in my light. Come and have fellowship with me. How's that possible? Well, he says it at the end of that last verse, or at the end of verse, um, yeah, verse seven. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He goes on to say in verse 8 Listen, this is so important, believer. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If your goal as a believer is to appear to have nothing wrong in your life, you're deceiving yourself. It tells us in other places in 1 John that you're actually calling God a liar to say, I have no sin. We've got to own our sin. And we'll get to that more here in just a second. The explanation of this is that God is holy in him. there is no darkness at all. And he invites us, in spite of that, into fellowship with him, to walk in the light with them. Here's the implication. We all, every single one of us, every single day, we need profound forgiveness from God. We need amazing forgiveness unbelievable, unfathomable, undeserved grace and love from God. Every single one of us, every single day. We have become professionals at downplaying sin. I made a mistake. I stepped out of line. I messed up. Just say it. I sinned. I commit sin. You commit sin. I want God to purify me and sanctify me every day in my walk with him. I want to do better. I want to have victory in my life over the things that have had victory over me. And all those things are true and they're possible. But the bottom line is, even the slightest amount of darkness in you, when you step into the light, cast a shadow. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Thank God. God. He provided forgiveness. Look at what it says in verse 9. If we confess our sin, if you mark your Bible, you should underline that word confess and in the margin just write agree. That's what the word confess means. Confessing to God is not about begging God for forgiveness, the forgiveness was provided on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus died. He bore our sin. He carried our shame. He crucified it. He rose again and conquered it. Forgiveness on that day was provided. And here's what God says. To access that, just own it. Just agree with me that your sin is sin. Just admit it. No excuses. No blame. You're going to stand before God someday as an individual. Not locking arms with all the people that have wronged you in your life. Jesus understands Jesus was wronged. He says, Confess. And then look what he says. He says, Confess if we confess our sins. He is faithful and he is just. God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you what is beautiful about that little phrase right there that you've probably heard a thousand times. He says that God is faithful, which means 100% of the time, God's gonna do what he says. He can be just. He can still be holy and just and forgive you because of Jesus. And we'll talk about that more here in just a second. But then he says, he's faithful and just to forgive you to provide that forgiveness that we all need profoundly. And the next part is so beautiful. He says, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know what that word cleanse means? It means to remove the stain. How I many of you guys remember, especially the boys, maybe some of the girls, when you were a little kid, you'd run outside and slide across the grass, right? Come in with big grass stains across your jeans, <laughs> oh man, I've got many spankings because of grass stains on my jeans. My mom just started putting patches on my jeans, which was humiliating and embarrassing, but she knew that would maybe cure me of sliding in the grass. But listen, my mom would take those jeans, she would throw them in the washing machine and she would wash them and they would come out and they would be clean, but they would still be stained. You could still see the stain of sin. And listen to me, believer, listen to me. There are many of us, many of us who know the Lord and we've given our hearts to the Lord and he has forgiven us and we're still looking back at the stain. We're still living like we have stains. And what God tells us in 1 John chapter one is that if you'll own your sin, that's all you've gotta do. That just requires humbling your heart. If you'll just confess your sin, God is faithful, God is just, he will forgive you. And he will remove the stain of your unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? Man, that ought to make us want to shout. God, the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 7, is angry with sin every day. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he is angry with sin every day. What you've got to stop and think about is what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago was he hung on that cross, and he let God pour his wrath out for sin, for your sin and my sin. He poured his wrath out on him, and Jesus took that wrath of God, which he did not deserve, on your behalf and on my behalf. Because God is angry with sin every day. God is still angry with sin every day. And his wrath is pointed at the cross of Christ because Jesus took it. Listen, if you're here today, if you're listening today, watching on a uh, live stream, listen, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross for you 2000 years ago. Can I just tell you today, God loves you so much that he paid that incredible price so that his wrath could be poured on his son and you could receive the grace of God. He did it for you. And if you're a believer today, listen, you've gotta live like you're forgiven. Confess your sin. Own your sin. Repent and turn away from your sin and then let God forgive you. Live in that forgiveness. Chapter two talks about that. We don't have time to go into it. But in chapter two, he talks in the first couple of verses about Jesus being an advocate for us. Don't live in the denial that you don't have sin. Own it. Let God forgive you. Live in that grace. The second thing in 1 John chapter 3, um, we're going to start in verse 11 of 1 John 3, and it actually starts kind of with the practical side of this, and then we're going to jump down into chapter 4 real quickly. So 1 John chapter 3. We see John tell us the second message of his letter, and that is that God is love. He says in verse 11 of chapter 3, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then he goes on and he uses examples from the Old Testament. He talks about what real love looks like, which we'll come back to here in just a second. But if you follow that line of thought all the way down into chapter 4, into verse uh, 7 of chapter 4, he says, Beloved, here's why we love one another, here's how we can love one another. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. Again, we're dealing with an attribute of God. It's not just that God shows love. God does show love, but he shows love because innately he is love the source of love. This comes from God's attribute of perfect goodness. And you might say, well, I feel like inside of me as a human being, there's love as well. But the love we're talking about in the Bible is agape love. We're talking about a love that has no conditions. We're talking about a love that's willing to sacrifice. We're talking about a love that is not about self in any way. It's a love that acts on behalf of someone else. That's what agape is. God's love for us is proportionate to God's hatred for sin. That's what you've got to understand. Is even though God hates sin, God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever, God's love is proportionate to his hatred for sin. And he poured out his wrath on sin so that he could show you his love. Listen to this the light of God, his holiness, and the love of God, his grace came together in perfect harmony in one moment of history to satisfy all that was required for us to have a personal relationship with him. So what is the the application? What is the application of this truth that God is love? The application is this. We saw it when we read in chapter three, love one another. Over and over in this letter, John says, if you truly know God, who is the source of love. You will love one another. He didn't say, love the ones that love you. In fact, Jesus said the opposite in the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't say, love the ones that are easy to love. He said, love one another. He didn't say, love when it's convenient to love. He said, love one another. 1 John four nineteen, he says, you can now love God. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John four eleven and 12, listen to what he says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how you anchor into the love of God as you apply this truth to your life. You love others. You love God and you love others. In so doing, this is another sermon for another time, but according to 1 John, in so doing, when we focus on loving God and loving others, it helps us abstain from loving the world, which is really just about loving self. And it helps us to embrace God's love for us. What he tells us in 1 John is to say that we love, but to not act on that love. It's not love at all. True love, God's kind of love, acts on behalf of the people that are around you. It takes steps. If somebody has a need, to meet that need. To put someone else before your personal preferences. That's the practice of love. To share the gospel that you have. That's the practice of love. And we've got to move on to 1 John chapter 5. For the last point, it'll be brief. 1 John chapter 5 verse 11. God is life. God is life. Listen to what he says in verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whosoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Listen to verse 13. John said, I write these things to you who believe. So this gospel message isn't just to non-believers. He says, I write these things that I've written, this letter I've written to you who believe. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. This is from God's attribute of being eternal. John wrote this message to you as a believer today so that you can have eternal life. In verse 12, he said, if you have the son, you have life. Eternal life isn't something we're waiting to start once we die. If you have the son, you have life. He says, I've written these things so that you who believe may know that you have eternal life. In other words, you don't have to wait until this life is over to see if your life, uh, the scale of your works uh, balances out and and allows you into heaven. What God says is you can know today, you can know now, because your entrance into a relationship with God is not about your works or your goodness or your ability. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross uh, uh, 2,000 years ago when he gave his life. Today you can know. And I would say the same thing to you that I said about the stain of sin. Today, there are many Christians today that are are wondering, that are just hoping. Maybe, maybe I said the prayer right. Maybe I did all the right things. Maybe I crossed my T's and dotted my I's just right. Maybe if I go to church enough. Maybe if I serve enough. Maybe if I do this enough. And what you've got to do is you've got to begin to live in the rest that you know you have eternal life. Here's what I believe. I believe that when you learn to own your sin and give it to God and walk in fellowship with him daily and when you begin to love other people through your actions with the love of God what I believe is you'll begin to live with the assurance that you know you know that you know that you have eternal life I'm gonna read a passage of scripture to you and then we're gonna wrap up here this morning. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen, in this whole weird pandemic season, isn't it amazing what we've realized that we can live without, at least for a time? Things that, you know, last year, half of us would have said we can't live without the NFL. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how how crisis brings us to the point where we look at life and say, "You know what? There's certain things that matter. I need to refocus a little bit." Here's John at the end of his life, and he says, "With all the crisis that he's experienced, I'm anchored to something, and I'm anchored to something solid. That's the fact that my God is light, and yet He's invited me to walk in that light with Him." My God is love. He's poured his love out on me at the cross. And my God has given me the hope and the promise of eternal life. Would you just anchor your soul to those things today? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.